The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 123 or you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, January the 20th. We're back after a week off and uh, that's my fault because it was my daughter's birthday last weekend. So I had a bunch of family in town. The parents were here visiting, lots going on, um, but that's behind us now and so is the inaugural UFC event on ESPN, and I just so happened to have on the show today someone who was live in attendance, the Brooklyn Brawler, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you feeling on this? What was supposed to be a very snowy Sunday afternoon for you, my friend? Dude, it was... Uh... I'm a little tired. I got home at like 2, 2.30 a.m. Um, but yeah, dude, we lucked out because we were supposed to get hit by this massive snowstorm. And it just turned out to be a little rain. I guess the snowstorm moved north. Uh, so I was able to get home, you know, pretty quickly from the event. But it did end pretty late. Uh, you know, overall fun experience. But Bill, before we get into this. Yes, it was your daughter's birthday, but Bill, it was her very first birthday. That's true. Her first year on this earth. Bill, how was it? I know you spent a bunch of time taking orders from the missus on how to set up, but Bill, <laughs> overall, how was it? Because if I feel like you're still kind of recovering. Yeah, man, it was uh it was exhausting. You know, a lot family in town is always stressful as it is, but um, you know, we had to do the first birthday party up big. Uh, so lots of decorations, uh, you know, uh, up till two in the morning, blowing up balloons and, and, you know, decking the house out. Like, you know, I felt like we were preparing for the Royal wedding, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's awesome. She's worth it. Um, you, you know, first, first rotation around the sun or, you, you know, first, um, spinning pizza box around the sun. If you're a flat earther, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i i guess that, that's the best analogy i could think of but yeah it was cool man you know uh she she has no idea what's going on but you know she and you know how first birthdays you do like the smash cake where you just put a piece of cake in front of the kid and they make a total mess um she didn't do it like she just like she really liked the cake but she's picking up little pieces one at a time like so dainty she's got to be like She's got to be like the cleanest baby ever, which um, I guess, you know, there are worse problems to have. But yeah, um, I, I want to hear about your experience with uh, UFC Fight Night 143 yesterday. So a lot of people don't may not realize you live in New Jersey. This fight was in Brooklyn. Geographically, that's about 10 to 15 miles away. Um, but unlike other states like if that were Florida, it would take me, you know, 20, 30 minutes to drive there. But, um, you know, going to from New Jersey to New York and back, that's like that's like a two hour affair. 
to get <laughs> to get 10 or 12 miles um so was it was it worth the trip jeff Oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. Uh, I left the house early cause I was meeting up with some friends, uh, you know, just to pregame a little bit. So I left the house at about two o'clock, um, took a bus to Port Authority and then took the three train from 42nd street to leaves you right in front of the Barclay center. So it took me about an hour and a half, which wasn't bad at all. So I met mm -hmm. up with some friends. We had a few drinks at a place called, um, the North pole bar. Yeah. It's right outside of Barclays. So super fun. They had a special for the day for seven bucks. You could have a shot of Jim Beam and a beer. So I took advantage of that. I had some Tecate, which uh, it tasted a little bit tart. It was kind of like um, like a sour beer. Like uh, you remember those Calliope's we drank from Barley Mo? Yeah, yeah. Kind of it reminded me of those. Um, but, you know, I didn't hate it. Um, and I didn't want to spend $15 on a beer in Barclays. So after the first one stopped, Bill, yeah, uh, you know, just to keep the buzz going. But, dude, really, really fun card. Um, I think that I ended up catching like a full cramp uh, first in my leg. Then I stood up to stretch it out and then I caught a crab in my abdomen because I'd just been sitting for so long. I had oh. to be I had to have been sitting for like six hours, uh, but worth it. Every fight was awesome. Um and, you know, as, as we break down the card, I'll explain a little bit more of, like, crowd reaction and stuff. But uh, our seats were great, so I was heckling, especially during the early prelims when <laughs> when, uh, when the fighters could hear me because there was no one in the arena. Yeah. So what's the energy like when you get there? Is it just kind of like everybody's showing up at, like, a convention and just, like, there's a few handful of people walking around? It's kind of hard to tell, like, watching the broadcast and – uh, full disclosure, I did not watch the prelims. Uh, I, I started this card around the Cowboy Cerrone fight, so you're going to have to fill me in on which fights I need to go back and check out. But what's the energy like when you're getting into the Barkley Center? Uh, it was nice, man. It felt like, I, like you said, like I was going to a convention, and then as the night, um, you know, drew on, there, you know, more and more people trickled in. And then by the time the Cowboy fight was on, the arena was packed. And when Cowboy came out, like the whole place was rocking. You could mm -hmm. feel the energy. It was awesome. And Bill, because it was the inaugural ESPN event, we got free shirts. See? Nice. A ESPN plus. Um, this one probably doesn't fit me though. Like I said, I'm not a small guy, Bill. So, um, <laughs> but it's a nice souvenir to have. Um, you know, they had the UFC store set up. I didn't buy anything because, you know, I don't like off. Reebok. You didn't want to buy a, a replica of the new championship belt? No, that, that was the first thing that they had on display when you walked in. Yeah. And I don't like it, Bill. I like how loud the old belts are. <laughs> it looks like um it looks like a like a Power Rangers Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I, it's, it's, a lot of people are upset about it personally. I don't I don't really give a shit what the belt looks like. I don't care. Um you know, they, they added some features to it and like, you know, they added jewel every time you defend it. And if you defend it more than eight times, you get a red jewel or something um, like, OK, cool. I never paid attention to what the boxing belts looked like. I never cared. Um, uh, you know, it, it is it is what it is like. Who who gives a shit? Uh, <coughs> but um. Any, in any case, uh, I'll tell you the first person to own one of those new belts is, in fact, Henry Cejudo. Um, and I, I had kind of, 
I don't want to say I predicted the outcome of this because I was I was very much on the fence. I, I was telling people when they asked me who I thought was going to win, I said my my head says TJ, but my gut says Cejudo. And the reason I was saying that is because um, TJ showed susceptibility to being knocked out earlier in his career when he first started doing the weight cut to 135. So I thought that draining himself down to 125 and i don't think he looked as bad as people were making him out to look you know a, a couple of bad pictures of him after training sessions when he looked really sucked out uh during the weight cut but um i thought he looked good going into the fight i mean he looked very lean uh a lot leaner than you know he probably should but not like sickly or mm -hmm. or where i would be worried about him but uh when you suck all that weight out basically what happens is your, your brain gets dehydrated along with your body. And even though you can rehydrate your body in 24 hours or 36 hours in this case, which is how long they had from weigh-ins to uh, when they fought, your brain doesn't rehydrate properly for at least a week. So if you're cutting a lot of weight, uh, you know, that basically affects your ability to keep your brain turned on. So when you get clipped, uh, your brain wants to shut off because it's dehydrated and it doesn't want to work. Um, so that's exactly what happened with TJ Dillashaw. And, um, you know, I posted a screenshot of the text message I sent you where I said, I feel like Cejudo is going to knock out Dillashaw because of the weight cut is going to drain him too much. And um, that's what happened. TJ Dillashaw really upset with the stoppage. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that it was a bad stoppage, you know, looking back on it, it did look like he was kind of with it at the end, but, um, you know, right in the moment, I thought it was definitely a good stoppage. Um, wh what was the reaction of the crowd? And, um, do you think it was an early stoppage, Jeff? Bill, a lot of people were very upset. A lot of people thought it was an early stoppage. I am not in this number, Bill. I think that the ref called it, um, clean i think that it was the right call because um i don't know how well you guys could see this at home but tj dillashaw's head was like a bobblehead especially um in that last sequence of offense by henry cejudo his uh -huh. head was bobbling back and forth and he hit the ground hard man i think that the ref uh, you know did a good job of calling it i think that uh yes tj dillashaw ended up getting up and wrestling but i think that for maybe a second or two i think he was definitely out um his body went limp for you know like i said a good one or two seconds so i think it was the right call i don't think that uh dillashaw got robbed in any way and i think you're right bill um you know when when you told me that about the weight cut affecting his his jaw and his chin and everything you made me really think about who i thought would win because initially I thought Dillashaw would, um, would you know, show up a little bit more. I thought that it would go to five rounds, but uh, that that weight cut uh, is such a big factor, and uh, I think that it played a, a factor in a couple of other fights too. You know that I'll talk about a little bit more when we get into. But yeah, dude, I just think that it was it was too much. I think this is Dillashaw's first fight at flyweight, so you know, Cejudo's no joke, dude. He's been there before at flyweight, so. I don't know. I don't think TJ Dillashaw thought this through uh, all the way. And I think it's, I think that extra brain fluid would have helped with that. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I know he did things the right way. He's got a really good um, strength and conditioning coach that 
that really helped to monitor and make sure he did the cut safely, which I'm sure he did. But, um, you know, there's no way to control those X factors. You're not going to see how much of a punch you can take while you're cutting weight. Um, so he had to find that one out the hard way. So TJ is uh, vying for a rematch at 125 because he really wants, uh, you know, to be a double champion. And Cejudo is campaigning to have the rematch at 135 so he could have a chance to be a double champion. Uh, I think that's the fair way to do it especially since, you know, Cejudo gave him a chance. Um, you, you know, the right thing would be for TJ to return the favor. I think this is a perfect opportunity for the UFC to eliminate that flyweight division. Uh, it may be fortunate for them that Cejudo won. Uh, so if they're still thinking about phasing that division out, now is the perfect time to do it. Cejudo moves up, he challenges DJ, and then he stays at bantamweight, and whatever other flyweights want to stay on board with the UFC move up to bantamweight as well. Um, you know, they could use a little bit more depth in that division. Uh, you know, for the longest time, it's just been, uh, three guys that were talked about, you know, Dillashaw, Garbrandt and Dominic Cruz. Uh, so I see that, uh, as being the next step. I think Henry Cejudo is very, um, <clears throat> people underestimate his power. Uh, you know, we saw what he did to Wilson Hayes. Uh, he's got very, his boxing is very basic, and I don't say that as an insult. I mean, he learned boxing more recently than a lot of other MMA fighters because obviously he was a, a world-class wrestler for a long time. But because he's so focused on the basics, you know, uh, basics win fights. Um, it, it, it's it's sometimes the most simple things that work the best. Uh, and he's adding some new tools to his to his game as well. You know, we saw him with that head kick. Um, and you know, some very clean boxing and it did the trick against TJ Dillashaw, who a lot of people thought, uh, would have the advantage on the feet in this fight, which is, you know, a pretty lazy way to predict, uh, how a fight's going to go down. But you know, that's the way some people choose to do it. Uh, any other thoughts on this one or what's next for these two guys, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I think you're right. I think a fight at 135 for TJ's belt is the only thing that they can do because at 125, he already got demolished. You know, I feel like if he was going to fight Cejudo again for that flyweight belt, he'd have to earn his way back up through the rankings. I don't care if he's the champion in another weight class. In this weight class, he just got dusted. So um, something I noticed about Cejudo, man, he was quick to close down the space. And TJ Dillashaw, while being a really good counterpuncher, he needs room to do that. Um Cejudo had him right up against the cage, and even against the cage, TJ was trying to do that fancy Dominic Cruz footwork, but when he was up against the cage, there wasn't a lot of places he could move to. Mm -hmm. It was either he gets clipped by Cejudo's left, or he gets caught with Cejudo's right. Yeah. That's basically where he was, and TJ's developed a style where he can move in and out, but a lot of it is to the side with you know open space behind him mm -hmm. um against Cejudo he didn't have time to get out fast enough because like I said the space was closed down so the only places he could go to were Cejudo's hands or um like uh head kicks so really interesting fight I think people are underestimating Cejudo and what he did last night and I think people are you know too quick to discredit him and his striking I think his striking has actually improved by leaps and bounds over the last few years 
But anyway, Bill, uh, let's not spend too much more time on this because there's a lot more we got to cover. Yeah, for sure. All right. So um, we'll, we'll move on here. Uh, again, I think the next thing is going to be a rematch at 135 pounds. And uh, I think it'll be a very different fight. And yeah. I, I am kind of looking forward to the rematch uh, after seeing this. Uh, I'm sure it's going to piss off a lot of the bantamweights who, you know, have been waiting in the wings while all this has gone on. But, you know, that's the nature of the beast. Um, the the co-main event, I really don't care to talk about. Um, so Greg Hardy disqualified uh, by an Ill illegal strike. Apparently, this man just has no concept of what's legal and illegal in general. Uh, in or outside of the cage, and he's just a piece of shit. Uh, that's really all I have to say about that, unless you have any thoughts on this one, Jeff. Uh, yeah, but I did want to look at this from a more objective standpoint because um, Greg Hardy does not have a lot of experience, and, you know, I'm not defending him in any way. I don't agree with him on a personal level, but just, um, you know, I don't know if it was, like, nerves that got to him, but... Um, I mean, either way, even without the DQ, man, he was losing that fight. Um, Alan Crowder did a good job in the first round of putting him on his back. And it's funny because I, I yelled um, in the crowd because, uh, dude, every time Greg Hardy was throwing something, it was scary. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as much as, as you may dislike him in person, Greg Hardy is a very scary individual. He's gigantic. Mm -hmm. um, and everything that he was throwing was had bad intentions behind it. Um, even at one point Crowder had him up against the cage and Greg Hardy was doing this like hammer fist from like over his head and like swinging straight down. Even that looked like it was scary. Um, it looked like it, it could have finished the fight, but Crowder, I think did a good job of keeping his composure, you know, not getting intimidated by this guy who is a very intimidating person. Uh -huh. Um, you know, he was able to put him on the ground, work a little bit more from the top. Um, I And then in the second round, right before that DQ, Crowder started like, he put his hands down and just said, come on, hit me. And it was great, man. I, I think that he kind of uh, threw Greg Hardy off his game a little bit when he did that. Yeah, Hardy he went, went full Rocky three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 it ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, as much as I dislike Greg Hardy, I, I really, I think this is the last thing he needed. You know, he's already got a little infamous. He's already got you know negative notoriety. Um, and you know, as much as as I don't approve of him, I would have liked to see how this fight would have finished if they'd kept going because. Yeah, I, I really think Crowder had it two rounds to to zero. Well, I think he knew how it was going to finish, and that's why he took a cheap shot. Um, it seemed like it was out of desperation. Mm. Uh, he made it seem like he didn't know the rules, but, I mean, come on. He's been around the UFC for uh, almost a year now. Um, uh, he should be familiar with the rules. Um, I, I don't buy that as an excuse. I think it was dirty. I think Dan Mergliata thought it was dirty. Yeah. And um, he did the right thing with the disqualification. Um, yeah, and not to mention the fact that he was put into a fight with a guy who was meant to stand in front of him, mm. uh, who is not much of a wrestler, and he was still able to take him down. Um, so that shows that Greg Hardy may not have – not only should he not be in the UFC for ethical reasons, but he may not have the skill set to be here 
either. And I think that was um, pretty well proven last night. But I'll tell you someone who does have a skill set as a wrestler and one of the most impressive performances on the whole card, in my opinion, and now is Gregor Gillespie's absolute mauling of Yancey Medeiros. This guy, uh, and you know, Jeff, I've been high on Gregor Gillespie for a long time. Um, you, you know, he's been flying high on my radar uh, and I think not on a lot, of, a lot of other people's, especially in a, a very stacked lightweight division. This guy is wrestling, especially when applied to MMA, is on a complete other level. Um, if he grabs a hold of you, that's it. Uh, he's got a hold of a limb for the entire round. And Yancy Medeiros, who's a very capable grappler, uh, was not able to get away from the clutches of Gregor Gillespie, who actually had a couple of submissions seemingly locked up and then he seemed to let them go and opted to just beat the fuck out of Yancy Medeiros instead, um, which, which shows like a very scary level of grappling, uh, similar to like a Khabib who is known to do similar things, you know, like basically tease guys by going for submissions and then letting them go and beating the crap out of them. Um, uh, and Gillespie's one of these guys who, you know, he never calls anybody out. He's very respectful. He doesn't do a lot of media, but when he gets in there, he's beating the fuck out of people. And that was probably the most dominant performance on the whole card. Uh, in 10 minutes, Yancy Medeiros landed one punch, um, uh, you know, according to the stats at the end of the fight. Uh, so I was really blown away with the performance of Gregor Gillespie. Like I've, I, I've considered him a very highly touted prospect for a long time, but um, you know, we saw him in there with a top contender now, and um, it was a one-sided beatdown. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Bill, uh, this is one of the fights that I really wanted to talk about because a lot of the crowd was booing at what Gregor Gillespie was doing. And if you cannot appreciate what Gregor Gillespie was doing, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. Gregor Gillespie was – dude, he came out with a volume – of wrestling that Yancey Medeiros, he did okay in the first round. He was creating scrambles, getting out of positions. Mm -hmm. But in the second round, Gillespie just wore him down. You know, yeah, and he said it in the post-fight interview. Um, Gillespie was like, I knew he couldn't keep that pace for three rounds. Yeah. And and then he said, you know, he couldn't even keep it for two rounds. So, dude, Greg Gillespie was amazing last night. And Yancey Medeiros, too, dude. Yancey Medeiros was very difficult to take down and very difficult to hold down. And, you know, Gillespie, just his wrestling is a totally different level, man. Um, especially against Yancey Medeiros, who's so much bigger and longer than him. Um it actually looked like they were in different weight classes when they were standing next to each other. And mm -hmm. dude, I love Greg Gillespie, man. He's a local guy. I think he trains out of Long Island. So there was a big crowd out there for him. And, you know, Greg Gillespie, he's got that crazy haircut where, like, you just, you know, you know this guy is up to yeah. no good with that haircut. Yeah. Like if, if, he, if he gives such, like, so little fucks about how his hair looks, mm -hmm. then imagine what he's going to do to your face. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Yancey's size because this was his first fight uh, back at lightweight. Uh, he had gone up to welterweight for a little while, and he was carrying a lot of extra weight there. Um, you know, I don't want to say he was out of shape, but you could tell um, he had some unnecessary weight on him. I thought he looked good back at lightweight. I thought he looked... Uh, very lean, but still big for the division. Uh, he's a guy that would really benefit from a 165 pound division. 
Um, but yeah, man, you can't say enough about Gregory Gillespie. If you, if you can't appreciate that kind of performance, just, you know, uh, imagine trying to hold somebody down that doesn't want to be there, especially another high level athlete, um, and how difficult that can be and to do it repeatedly and just continue taking him down and continue grinding on him and never letting off the gas pedal. Um, that's something that's just so unbelievably exhausting. And I'll use that to transition into the next fight, which was also a phenomenal example of very high level wrestling. I think this fight, and I'm talking about Joseph Benavidez and Dustin Ortiz. I think the grappling in this fight is what a lot of people were hoping to see in the main event between Henry Cejudo, who obviously Olympic gold medalist in wrestling and TJ Dillashaw, who's a very accomplished, uh, collegiate wrestler himself. Um, but the, the wrestling displayed by Joseph Benavides and Dustin Ortiz, the transitions and the positional awareness, um, and the back and forth, uh, it was really awesome to watch. Uh, this was actually probably the most exciting flyweight fight I've ever seen. Um, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually not too into the flyweights. You, you know, I find the division to be generally not exciting. Um, but I was really into the back and forth in this fight. Uh, what was your reaction to this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, this was really exciting. Just the back and forths in the grappling exchanges. I thought Benavides looked great, especially, um, in the first two rounds and then dustin ortiz i think he may have won the third round and dude this fight was super hard to call bill um i was um you know trying to to enjoy this fight but also really trying to look at it like trying to score it and it was really hard mm -hmm. i felt like joseph benavidez won the fight overall um you know, I, I couldn't really tell you which two rounds. I kind of thought the first and second, it could have been first and third. Um, but I just, I knew he had done enough to win. Some people in the crowd thought that Ortiz won. Uh, I think Benavidez did just a little bit more to win. And, you know, good for Benavidez, man. Uh, I'd like, he's somebody I'd like to see at Bantamweight if the, if this division gets dissolved. But, um, you know, people were like, oh, say th this is a fight that should save the flyweights. But, I'll be honest with you, man. This is like the first flyweight fight that I was excited about, uh, apart from Cejudo versus Dillashaw in like a year and a half. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Benavidez, I think, clearly won the first and third. Dustin Ortiz, I believe, won the second round, especially because he had a big slam um, mm. with, I think it was like 15 seconds to go in the second round, which I think sealed the deal for him. Because it was a, the second round was close, but I think Ortiz... Uh, sealed it for himself uh, with that slam of Benavidez towards the end of the round. Um, but yeah, it was a great technical fight. This was a rematch as well. Um, you know, I thought both guys looked really good. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here. I mean, Joseph Benavidez has a win over the champ, Henry Cejudo. Um, so maybe he moves up, and if if Cejudo beats Dillashaw at bantamweight, maybe he challenges for that belt somehow. Um, you know, a lot of people forget Joseph Benavidez is, you know, if Mighty Mouse weren't around, they'd be talking about Joseph Benavidez as, as one of the top pound-for-pound -pound fighters on the planet because there was nobody else who could really beat him at this weight. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that because Mighty Mouse beat him twice. Um 
All right, let's keep things rolling here, Jeff. Let's move on to uh, one of the fights that that caused a lot of controversy leading up to. Um, well, this fight didn't cause controversy, but the fact that this fight was put on the same um, the same card as the uh, that piece of NFL trash that made his debut, um, Rachel Ostovich and Paige Van Zant. I thought. Um, this fight was a lot more competitive than I kind of anticipated. Mm. Um, I, I saw Ostovich probably having a hard time getting Paige Van Zant to the ground, especially with Paige Van Zant, uh, you know, moving up in weight because of, you know, the new additions to her body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I I liked um, I liked the wrestling of Ostovich here. I thought the grappling exchanges in this. We're good, um, you know, a little bit sloppy at times. Uh, you know, there were some positions locked up um, that should have been locked up, and they were kind of uh, slipped away. Um, you know, a few back takes that went awry, and uh, even the last transition by Paige Van Zandt where she had the back and she was she was up really high, and she transitioned at the last minute to that armbar uh, which, uh, wound up finishing the fight. And, um, she even let go before the referee broke it up, which was, you know, the nice thing to do because she heard Rachel's arm pop, um, a whole lot of information there, Jeff, uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, Bill, this fight, I was actually wondering why, um, Paige had let go because, uh, I couldn't hear the commentary. So, you know, I can just go by like sound from the cage and stuff and, uh -huh. I don't know if you guys could pick this up on the mics, but Rachel Ostovich actually yelled out, oh, fuck. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she got up, and her arm was, like, limp. Uh, it looked Ooh. like she might have broken, like, part of the upper arm, like, uh, in between the shoulder and elbow area. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and actually, Bill, Rachel Ostovich was tapping, but um, her mm -hmm. arm was under Paige Van Zandt's leg on the side that the ref was not standing on. Right. So opposite side of the ref and she was tapping under um, the, the leg. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't see it at all in the replay. You see her fingers going like this and if yeah. you, you know, tapping uh, pages leg. So I think that's why she let go. But um, yeah, dude, it, this, it was a weird position. Um, you know, hopefully Rachel's okay. But dude, what I took out of this fight was that neither of these girls has jujitsu defense. Um, you know, whoever was on top was doing a good job, but whoever was on the bottom was doing a horrible job of defending Bill. Mm -hmm. um, I like Paige Van Zandt looked like she didn't know how to get out of side control, yeah, or, uh, or like the half guard. Um, and Ostovich, same deal, dude. As soon as Van Zandt got on top of her, she she didn't know what to do. Um, and you know. Uh, it just it left a lot to be desired, Bill. I felt like there was a lot of good grappling on this card. Yeah. And as much as I'm a fan of both of these ladies, neither of them had that great of grappling, dude. Um, you know, there was every time somebody went for the back, they would slip off because they didn't get their hooks in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of sound like a douche saying this, but, you know, if you understand grappling, you, you can appreciate a little bit more, but you also – I guess become a little bit more nitpicky. I guess it's the same if like a karate guy watches somebody, you know, 
stand up or like a box or something. But um, you know, overall, still a really entertaining fight. Ostovich's takedowns were timed really well. Um, Paige looked like she was getting the better of the exchanges on the feet. Um, mm-hmm. The only time she was put on her back was an Ostovich uh, changed levels. So you know, really good. Um, points from both of these girls. It was good to see Paige back in there after like a year and a half off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see what's next for Paige Van Zandt. Uh, I think she's adding so, uh, some life to this uh, women's flyweight division. I think she called for a title shot or she might have called out Jessica. I forget exactly. Um, eh. I, she might have called for Jessica. I. Um, but still, that's a fight I'd love to see at women's flyweight, Bill. You know, mix up this division a little bit, get some more title contenders in there. Yeah, I think it was an enjoyable fight because they're both kind of their weaknesses were kind of equal, mm. which kind of made the the grappling exchanges exciting. Like it wasn't great technique, but um, you know it was still very back and forth, which is always fun. And uh, that's exactly the kind of fight we saw between Glover Teixeira and Carl Roberson. Um, so Roberson took this fight on very short notice. I want to say two and a half weeks, but seems like the kind of guy that's always in fighting shape um very powerful very explosive um you know big knockout artists uh who came through the tuesday night contender series and you know has looked like a world beater and right before this fight started i was thinking this is too much too soon you know he hasn't been in there with somebody with the experience of glover Teixeira, and um Teixeira had to weather a big storm um you know, it looked like he was almost out at one point from those those elbows from Roberson almost almost knocked him out. But, you know, Teixeira is just so seasoned and he stayed so calm and composed where a lot of the younger guys that Roberson has fought in the past just, you know, crumpled under his pressure. Uh, someone with the experience of Teixeira, you know, he was able to, to push Roberson away, get his feet on the hips, do all the right things, um, and then turn it around and yeah you know come come away with a really nasty arm triangle choke and and he got it on the second try and um you know a guy like that glover to share a legitimate brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt but like old school black belt like top pressure black belt um you know that kind of squeeze is not is not the kind of thing anybody can really survive twice and roberson learned that uh, last night, I think Carl Roberson doesn't lose any stock here. You know, he took this fight on short notice and he, he still, um, you know, showed that he can bang with, with a really experienced fighter, but, um, you know, experience won the fight in the end. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, this fight, this is a story of two fights, dude. Two different fights happen in the span of three and a half minutes. So, you know, Glover Teixeira shoots for the takedown. Carl Roberson does a good job of defending and then starts dropping elbows on Glover Teixeira. It looked like he went limp to me, Bill. I saw his arms and shoulders just drop. You mm-hmm. know, they were not on uh, Carl Roberson's legs. And, dude, I was telling the buddy, a buddy of mine, Dennis, sitting next to me, I was like, dude, I feel bad for this guy, Roberson. He's taking this fight on, like, eight days notice. I mean, he probably said yes and didn't even hear who he had to fight. Um, but I think, I think Roberson, you know, put on a really good performance, all things considered. And Glover Teixeira, you know, like you said, just experience won the day, man. Um, I think that was the story of a couple of these fights. Um, you know, Glover Teixeira, the older fighter, just getting it done. He's been there before. He knew um, that Roberson 
you know, I wouldn't be able to keep up with his grappling. So to share a very tough dude. And, you know, once he got on top, it was just a matter of getting that good position and then locking up that arm triangle. So, um, very good performance from both of these guys. I am very excited to see what Roberson has in store as his career unfolds, dude, because, you know, I, I think he did really, really well considering he fought a top 10 guy on like eight days notice and no time to prepare for this basically. Yeah, for sure. No stock lost in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I also don't lose a lot of stock for Alex Hernandez, um, you know, who took a big step up in competition. This was a big call out of, of Cowboy Cerrone. And, you know, he did he did exactly the right thing. You know, the we've seen the blueprint to beat Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and that is to pressure him and get in his face and don't give him any distance to um, get off his kicks and um, – and don't let him get any momentum going. Um, and Alex Hernandez had a lot of momentum going into this fight. I mean, he had knocked out Benil Dariush. Uh, he had just beaten in July Olivier Aubin Mercier. Um, so, you know, pretty good string of wins together. Um, you know, his only loss before last night was just a split decision, and that was in 2013 um, outside of the UFC. So, um, you, you know, it was an interesting test for this kid who's, you know, very brash. Yeah. You know, a bit of a dick on the microphone. Um, but you know, he's trying to get himself noticed and I don't think cowboy took that personally. Um, the story of this fight, I think was the, uh, the counter right knees by cowboy. Every time Alex Hernandez would try and smother him, cowboy would just jab him with a knee right in the stomach and, and those were really starting to add up and you could really tell. Um, so Alex Hernandez, you know, rocking cowboy early in the fight and then, you know, cowboy trying to take it to the ground. And then once he got his composure, he looked a little slow in that first round, but that's typical for cowboy. I don't think it had anything to do with cutting back down to lightweight. Uh, and then those counter knees, uh, every time, uh, Hernandez tried to rush him, uh, we're just perfect. Uh, you know, those, those things hurt. Those things will knock the wind out of you. I don't care who you are. Um, the, those, those jabbing knees are just, you know, it's like taking a baseball bat in the stomach. It's not fun. Um, give me your reaction to this one, Jeff. And I know the crowd was probably going crazy here. Oh yeah, dude. Fans everywhere. love Donald Cerrone. Um, it felt like he was from Brooklyn with the reaction that he got. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole crowd exploded when his walkout music hit. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, getting to the fight, man. Uh, you know, a lot of people were booing Hernandez because of all the shit talking and, you know, as, as an MMA fan, I can kind of appreciate it. I just think he did it at the wrong time against the wrong opponent. You know, Donald Cerrone, he's a big fan favorite. So, but I think Hernandez also understood that he was going to be the bad guy in this fight. So that was really interesting, that dynamic. Um, dude, you know, Cerrone pulled out all the stops. I liked the use of the knee, like you said, just jabbing it out there in Hernandez's stomach. And, you know, Donald Cerrone used his Muay Thai, which, you know, we don't talk about too much because he's so good fighting from distance, but he's got really good Muay Thai. Um, he was throwing some really nice elbows that, you know, were cutting Hernandez up. By the end of that first round, he was seeing red. Um, 
you know, literally and metaphorically, his face was all bloodied up. And that was just after the first round. And Bill, I felt like Cerrone, you know, while he is a slow starter, I felt like he was a little amped up for this fight. I think mm. uh, Hernandez got under his skin a little bit. And because I felt like Cerrone started just a little bit in with a little bit of a higher tempo than he usually does. Um, you know, he was throwing some hard strikes. He was, you know, as much as Hernandez was in his face, Cerrone was able to deal with it because of the elbows and the knees. And dude, just, you know, uh, I think Hernandez, it was too much, just a little too soon for him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, at least he knows where he stands now, uh, in terms of that upper echelon, I think, um, you know, somebody right outside the top 15 next for him uh, will be good, and, and he'll probably get back on track in no time. He'll he'll learn a lot from this loss, I think, and it was probably good for him. As far as Cowboy, um, you know, the the tease now is, is that we might get the Cowboy-Conor McGregor fight, which I think would be awesome. I think the UFC would benefit greatly from that one. That's going to be, you know, if they do it on pay-per-view, that's going to be high selling pay-per-view for sure. You got two of your biggest draws fighting each other. Uh, it seems to make sense from a business perspective. Uh, Connor tweeted out that, you know, after watching the fight that he wants cowboy and obviously, you know, cowboys down because he's cowboy and he'll fight anybody. Um, so I, I hope we get that one. It's a fight that makes sense. Um, you know, from a business perspective and, um, you, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't, I don't buy too much into the, into the talk until stuff starts becoming concrete. Uh, before we get into the prelims, Jeff, which you're going to have to walk us through. I just want to touch on the fact that this was, um, and you didn't get to experience this. This was the debut of UFC on ESPN plus, And there were a lot of issues. Mm. Um, you know, the app was buggy. Um, the, the quality would, would go in and out. I, I saw multiple people online talking about how they paid for the app, but then they went on an illegal streaming site to watch it uh, anyway, because um, you know, the stream was just such poor quality. It was kind of weird. They would cut to commercials like in between rounds. And then at one point, I guess they ran out of commercials and they would just put up a screen that said ESPN plus commercial break. And it was just like a, uh, a motion graphic that would stay on the screen instead of like showing the corners talking. Uh, the other thing that was weird is they kept bringing in guests. So like um, Trevor Whitman would make commentary at the end of rounds. Um, you, you know, it seemed to come out of nowhere. It, it didn't flow very well. It wasn't very organic. I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by it, but um, it just seemed like a, a poor move. And then at the end, Stephen A. Smith came out with John Anik and and uh, Daniel Cormier. And apparently he was just talking out of his ass because he doesn't know that much about MMA. I know he follows loosely, but, you know, they, they were just looking to get like a big ESPN personality in there. And he's probably the biggest they have right now. Um, so they had him in there and, you know, it was very forced, very awkward, but um you know, it was the first event, so I imagine, I imagine they're gonna um, tighten things up. You know, ESPN is not known for uh, being lax about their production or anything like that. So if there are issues, I, I imagine they're gonna tighten things up, and they'll they'll listen to feedback and they'll do it the right way. But um, that that's what you missed in terms of the broadcast, Jeff. Uh, you know, it, it was a little bit, it was a little bit shaky. Um, but you know, overall the show went on, you know, if people 
weren't paying too close attention, they, they wouldn't have noticed a lot of those things. So uh, fill me in on the prelims here, Jeff. Give me kind of like a high-level recap of uh, the other six fights that um, I didn't get to see and which ones do I definitely need to go back and check out. All right, but I'm going to run a couple that I really liked by uh, definitely check out uh, the very hmm. – Actually, hold on. Let me take a quick look at this because there's I I I'll be honest with you, but I liked all the fights on this card. All of them were really good. But if I had to pick just three for you, uh, I'm gonna fire them off on you right now. So the first one you got to go back and check out is Jeff Neal versus Bilal Muhammad. Rare, very exciting fight. Very back and forth. Um, Bilal Muhammad just showing that. All right. Not back and forth. Uh, I think Jeff Neal won all three rounds. But Bilal Muhammad showing that he's such a tough dude, man. Tough chin on him. There were a lot of times where I thought that Jeff Neal would finish this fight and Bilal Muhammad hung in tough. You know, he's a true warrior. Definitely go back and check that one out. This was my pick for fight of the night up until um, the cowboy fight. Um, check out Corey Sandhagen versus Mario Bautista. Uh, I believe Bautista was a last minute replacement for Corey Sandhagen. I think he was supposed to fight John Lineker originally. Um, but Corey Sandhagen, uh, showing some very, very slick jujitsu bill at one point, Mario Bautista went for a high crotch, lifted Corey Sandhagen and dropped him on his head. And somehow Corey Sandhagen landed like try in a triangle. So he had mm -hmm. Mario Bautista in an awkward triangle, which he switched to an armbar to win that fight. Uh, so very, very slick jujitsu from Corey Sandhagen. Right. Um, and then check out, all right, four fights instead of three, sorry. Uh -huh. um, check out Joanne Calderwood versus Ariane, Ariane Lipsky. Uh, they call her the queen of violence. So there was a lot of hype for her uh, making her UFC debut. And Joanne Calderwood uh, did a good job of welcoming her to the UFC. Uh, she showed very, very um, mixed offense. She was good on feet. And when they were on the ground, it was all Calderwood using those long legs to set up submissions. So I think uh, Ariana Lipsky, I think she's a good fighter, but I think that Joanne Calderwood was a little too much to ask. And Bill, Joanne Calderwood uh, actually for this camp was training with our friend Serena De Jesus over at Syndicate MMA, getting ready with uh, Roxanne Modafer Modafferi and um, what's her name? Uh, Kaufman. What's her first name? Is it Sarah? Sarah Kaufman? Yes. Yeah, so uh, they were both in her corner. So that was really cool to see, Bill. Uh, hmm. All three of those guys, uh, those ladies, I'm sorry. Uh, so all three of them, you know, all those three badasses training together. Um, and check out, this is the last fight uh, that I would suggest checking out, is Alonzo Menafield versus Vinicius Moreira. Um Bill, uh, this fight was just amusing, man, because Moreira kept going for this spinning back kick, and he kept missing, but he kept trying it. And the last mm. time he tried it, uh, Menafield dropped him because he just reached around and around uh, Moreira's back and just dropped him with a right hand. So that was really cool. Um, the Dennis old reach around. Yeah, the old, the famous reach around. <laughs> so uh, that's why you never give your opponent your back, folks. But um, uh, and then Dennis Bermudez was on the card. Uh, he had a really good performance against Tay Edwards. Uh, but Bermudez is hanging up the gloves, Bill. Uh, I think that's going to be the last time we're going to see him in the octagon. Mm -hmm. So, Bill, a very exciting night of fights. Uh, I believe it was ten finishes out of thirteen fights. So, um. 
I think this is a, an awesome way for the UFC to start off their deal with ESPN. I thought that the card overall looked really, really exciting even mm-hmm. before I showed up. Um, I thought top to bottom this card was going to be super fun to watch, and it was. Uh, so, yeah, Bill, um, the experience was super fun being hanging out in Brooklyn. It sucked getting back home because the trains were running a little differently. Yeah, but that's not New York's fault. It's just the MTA's fault. Well, at least that snowstorm didn't show up. And yeah, I I definitely want to check out a lot of those fights. Um, Alonzo Menafield is a monster. Uh, he came through the the Tuesday Night Contender Series. I believe he's eight and zero with all finishes. I think he's only been out of the first round like twice. Um, just a a monstrous light heavyweight. So I definitely want to check that out. Um, Joanne Calderwood as well, especially after you telling me who was in her corner. Um, that's definitely awesome. And the Corey Sandhagen submission sounds really interesting as well. Um, any other thoughts on fight night 143 before we, uh, move on and wrap up here? Yeah, but just one last thing, and I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but Bill, I don't like that the UFC basically used domestic abuse to, to get people to watch their fights. Um, you know, Greg Hardy had no business being in the co-main event of this thing. And, you know, I don't want to give him any more um, attention than we already have, but it, it just, I, I didn't like that piece of it. You know, as mm-hmm. much as I enjoyed this card, I felt like, you know, they, they should have put Cowboy in the co-main event, mm-hmm. you know? Um so, you know, I felt like they, they put this guy in there because of his notoriety, because people don't like him, because they knew that they were going to get a reaction from the fans as soon as his walkout music played. Um, so I really don't appreciate the UFC doing that. I, I, it's like how the WWE used to use, like, real-life stories um, in in their, like, uh, promos and stuff. Like... Uh, I don't know if you would know this, but uh, Matt Hardy and Lita were dating for a bit, and um, Lita cheated on Matt Hardy, so they like wrote that into the show. Um, I've never been a fan of stuff like that, Bill. So, you know, I feel like, you know, we watch the UFC um, as a sport. We watch it because we enjoy it. We have respect for the art of mm-hmm. MMA, and you know, to to see it, to see the UFC and Dana White pimp out situations where you know people were were affected in a permanent way i just i'm not a fan i don't appreciate it so Mm -hmm. you know it's just it it shouldn't be done um greg hardy he's a nobody in this sport and there's no reason why he should have been in that co-main event the the ufc just wanted to put asses in seats Mm -hmm. and get a reaction and i just i don't like how that i don't like business being done that way yeah yeah and um, not not to defend the UFC, but I have a feeling this decision was made to kind of appease the new agreement with ESPN, who you know would probably want like, oh, this guy was in the NFL, let's get him mm. uh, up there. I, I think that was um probably how this decision came about. But you know, I, I'm in the same boat with you, Jeff. I don't, um, I, I definitely believe in second chances, but only to a certain degree, and. Uh, I don't think he's deserving of any more breath on this show or anywhere else. So uh, let's talk about a big heavyweight fight coming up next weekend um, between, you know, actually skilled heavyweights, and that's uh, Fedor Emelianenko and Ryan Bader. So this is the final of the uh, Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. And um, 
a very obscure card. You know, there's some awesome matchups on here. Um, Aaron Pico, who's one of their top prospects, uh, is going to be fighting in the co-main event against Henry Corrales. Um, one fight definitely worth checking out, Juan Archuleta and Ricky Bandejas. Um, that, that should be an excellent fight. 145 pound fight, I believe. Um, so if you have time to watch Bellator next Saturday night, uh, make sure you check that one out. And then Jiu-Jitsu nobody, AJ Agazarm is making his MMA <laughs> debut. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, those of you not familiar with AJ, he's most famous for um, going to a draw with Jake Shields and uh, <laughs> You know, he said that his intention was to get a draw with Jake Shields and that he would consider that a win. Um, but he's a world champion, according to him. So he's a perfect fit for Bellator, where you have the likes of Dylan Dennis. Unfortunately, I don't think they're in the same weight class because, you know, I would love to see those two um, kind of go at it. Um, yeah, you got a couple of there, – there's several fights where it's like guys who are 0-0 and 0-1 – um, or one and O and O and O or three and O and O and O it's very strange. And then, you know, at the top of the bill, you have Fedor Emelianenko, who's, you know, one of the most infamous fighters in the history of the sport. Um, but, uh, in any case, um, brief, uh, thoughts on this card. Did you take a look at it, Jeff, or anything jumping out at you? Yeah, Bill. So, um, I am excited for that main event and Bill, I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, I'm still not impressed by Aaron Pico. I accept that he's a good fighter. I accept that he's a really, really good wrestler, but they've been giving him feeder fish, man. Um, I don't know anything about Henry Corrales. I've never heard of him. So I don't know. I mean, I get it. I get it. Bellator. You're building this guy up. Um, you know, you want him to have a nice padded record so that you can say he only has one loss and, but you know, I, I want to see Aaron Pico get that experience but then you know after this fight maybe let's start getting him some some people we've heard about before some people who are not oh and one or one and one um yeah yeah sorry bill um so just one more thing i wanted to add to this while well, i'm super excited for fedor milenenko and ryan bader ryan bader being the current light heavyweight champion of bellator uh could be would he be their first uh fighter to hold two belts at the same time um, no, he wouldn't, but I can't tell you who had done it. Um, no, I'm not saying in, in like two belts and two weight classes. I'm saying two belts at the same time. Oh yeah. I think he would be the first to do that. Okay. Um, um and then just one last thing I wanted to add before I turn it over to you, Bill, is um, former professional wrestler Jack Swagger, whose real name is Jake Hager. Bill, a very talented NCAA uh, Division One All-American, uh, is making his MMA debut. Uh, so he claims that he's better than Brock Lesnar, Bill. And I don't even know if Brock Lesnar is as good as Brock Lesnar was when he <laughs> first started. Well, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar did go on to be a UFC champion. Um, so there's that. I mean, I guess you never know. Uh, yeah. Against somebody who was 40 pounds smaller than him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, out of the guys who came out of WWE, you know, you got to put Brock Lesnar as the most talented as a fighter. Um, 
you know, and then the other side of the spectrum is CM Punk. Um, so, <laughs> hey, you know, hopefully your boy falls, uh, you know, somewhere on the spectrum closer to Brock Lesnar, if, if anything, because the alternative is uh, is not going to be a good look. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I believe in him, Bill. He's a heavyweight, like I said, a really good uh, college wrestler. So I, I think he'll be fine, Bill. They're putting him against someone I've never heard of, so I think he'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Well, then he'll probably smash the guy. All right. Uh, after that, we have a week off from the UFC. Uh, the next thing we have going on is UFC Fight Night 144. We can break this down next week, but uh, it's going to be a rematch between Rafael Asuncao and Marlon Moraes. Uh, not going to be a, you know getting any casual fans off the couch here, but uh, I'm personally very excited for this one. The, the first fight was a close one. We got Jose Aldo and uh, Renato Carnero uh, on this card as well, and um, some, some other really good fights that we'll, we'll get into in more detail next week but a, a week off um from the ufc and then you know they're going to be in fortaleza brazil um so i, I i'm okay with um, you know in every other week schedule uh we had a jam-packed end of 2018 where it was like 17 weeks in a row or something like that there was a card um so yeah a little bit of a break is fine you know i'll, I'll, I'll watch bellator but i could probably you know, record it and watch it on Sunday mm -hmm. or something. So it doesn't occupy the weekend. Um, uh, pretty long episode, Jeff. We went over a lot of stuff. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap things up? Uh, I just wanted to ask you something, Bill. Um, so it says on Wikipedia that um, UFC 233 was actually supposed to be this upcoming Saturday, but it got mm -hmm. canceled. Uh, would you happen to know anything about that? Yeah, it got canceled. Okay, so uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> um, I I do believe that they don't intend on replacing it. They're just gonna skip mm. that number. Um, so that's it. The next one will be two thirty four. Uh, I I think it was just like a, you know, I forget who had pulled out of the main event, and they're like, you know what. And I think some some other people were having scheduling conflicts. They were like, let's just do away with this event. We'll put the, you know, we'll piece the fights other places and we'll figure it out. And, you know, that's when Ben Askren was supposed to make his debut against Robbie Lawler. So that's just going to be at another time, uh, which I'm looking forward to personally. Um, but, you know, we can get into uh, more of that next week and we'll start breaking down Fight Night 144. And I guess we'll recap uh, Bellator or whatever we watch of it. Um, so until then, if you guys want to get a hold of Jeff, if uh, you want to see his pictures from Fight Night 143 and everything like that, uh, then go follow him on Twitter at Animal underscore Wilson. And of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Let me know what you're thinking and drinking out on social media at MMA on the rocks. That's all we got for this week. Until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>